0: Hi everyone, welcome back to What the Fintech, your fintech feel-good show. What the Fintech is a news and information platform covering the latest fintech development in Hong Kong, Singapore, China and Asia. Join us every Wednesday for an engaging discussion with various Asian tech figures to discuss about entrepreneurships, emerging technologies, customer engagement and partnerships. Before starting this interview, feel free to share your question in the comment sections, like and share. And today we have one of the most prominent figures of the blockchain in Hong Kong, but also in Asia, Dr. Duncan Wong. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for
1: having me over here.
0: Thank you very, very much for coming here. Um, I'm a very big fan of what you have done here since uh, many years. We know each other yeah, for a long time now. It, uh, but before we start this interview about CryptoBlock and your company, can you introduce a bit yourself, please?
1: Sure. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Duncan, Duncan Wong. So I'm the CEO of uh, CryptoBlock. And I have been working on the blockchain since 2014. And even early on, I have been working on cryptography Yes. Uh, in my career. You have a PhD on cryptography, right? Yes, I do. Uh, I went to the States, uh, yeah. wow, that's a long time ago, 20 years ago. So I got a PhD from Northeastern University. And at that time, um, I, my thesis was on the uh, cryptography, digital signature, encryption, all that.
0: Oh my god, yeah. this is good. <laughs> and before, you were also the head of fintech or blockchain
1: for Astri, if I
0: remember right.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I started the whole thing back to like 2003, after I got my PhD. And after that, I came back to Hong Kong. I basically grew up in Hong Kong, just spent four years in the States uh, for doing my PhD. So after that, I came back um, and uh, I was looking for a, a good paid job, <laughs> employee concept at that time. Uh, so I started being a professor. So I spent about 13 years uh, at City University of Hong Kong doing research, teaching. And um, basically the research at that time was all on cryptography. Uh, mainly about quantum-safe uh, cryptography, post-quantum cryptography as well. Um, after that, back to 2014, uh, I took a leave uh, from the professorship. Uh, so that's actually pretty uh, fortunate uh, for me to be able to have this kind of opportunity to take a leave and uh, joined Astri and spend three years there. Wow, good. Yeah. And uh,
0: what did you do with Astri there? Because yeah. I know what you have done, but maybe some people <laughs> listening here don't know about what was sure. the first blockchain project you have developed with AS3 and the HKMA?
1: Sure. So, uh, first of all, AS3 is an official name, It's called government subvention uh, organization. Basically, it's a government fund organization. And the mission of Astree is to bridge the uh, academia and the industry. So basically Astrid's purpose, is, uh, the main purpose of setting up this Astrid is to establish or to develop uh, R&D products mm-hmm. um, so that those products will be able to benefit the industry. So that actually attracted me a lot uh, back to 2014, eight years ago. I joined there and would like to do something related to A, B, C, D, very greedy. right? So um, the uh, on the analytic part, the data analytic part, uh, B is the blockchain. NSC is the cybersecurity, and they uh, is basically the, the data analytic. Well, actually the first A is actually uh, artificial intelligence. So at that time I was mainly focusing on blockchain as well as cybersecurity. So uh, what I did over there, on the blockchain side, uh, was that we uh, worked together with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority to uh, write the first white paper uh, with uh, Hong Kong MA. So that white paper was about distributed ledger technology. Mm -hmm. But it's not just a a, a white paper, but we actually did some prototypes like trade finance, uh, like property valuation system. And we tried to explore how to use blockchain to to, to set up uh, some of the very useful value added uh, systems. So that's how I actually got into building uh, blockchain systems uh, and also thinking about how to build production grade. Blockchain systems.
0: I remember it was pretty big here, and especially in Asia, uh, the white paper, the demo day at the at the
1: FinTech Week at that time as well. Yeah, yeah. I got an opportunity to go to the stage and <laughs> talk about what we uh, we did at that time, like uh, and in the FinTech Week. What
0: was the turning point from you yeah. to um, to stop to work with Astri and start CryptoBlock at that time?
1: Yeah. So uh, first of all, this is really a a a, a big decision for me. So Uh, In fact, a little bit of a secret from myself, I actually was planning to go back to the university (laughs) and continue my research, continue my teaching uh, after spending like uh, maybe one to two years at S3. But uh, I changed my mind because um, first of all, I was engineering trained. Uh, My bachelor's degree was on electrical and electronic engineering. Mm -hmm. So I've always been looking into how to build systems uh, which are tangible uh, which can really benefit the society. So after spending almost three years at S3, we've been building a lot of great prototypes. I've been actually looking into the market and find out actually there is a huge gap. Um, the, the gap is between prototypes and production. So this is basically like engineering mindset, how to really bring those prototypes into production. And this actually is the original reason and the main reason why I would like to set up a company uh, in Hong Kong, got a lot of supporters from the investors and also my friends uh, to set up this company called CryptoBlock, block. And uh, the, the main goal is to really bring those prototypes like tree finance prototypes uh, to production. And hopefully we will have some real customers like the banks and cost- corporates. They will be able to make use of these systems in order to make their life easier.
0: Can you tell tell us more about CryptoBlock, the beginning, and your first products that you have developed for them?
1: Yeah, definitely. We have tried, actually, really a lot of things. Um, Time flies five years already uh, since the beginning. Like back to 2017, we started up this company. Um, I think one of the the projects I would like to share over here uh, is still the trade finance. Mm -hmm. So uh, the project right now is called Contour network, C-O-N-T-O-U-R, contour network. So it's a letter of credit trade finance system. Um, down the road, it's not just limited to letter of credit, I believe, uh, but let's just focus on the letter of credit trade finance system. So so the, the trade finance itself, uh, letter of credit especially, requires multiple parties that they need to communicate with each, each other to issue the letter of credit, to share that document together with other documents among all the, all the entities that they actually need to share those documents. They may either use, say, courier or email or uh, send those messages through Swift. So they you may imagine they actually have a lot of different kinds of systems um, that they need to talk to each other. Communication is a problem. Just like we we speak different languages, and we need to come up with some kinds of standard or maybe some de facto protocol for us to communicate with each other. Um, And also the workflow itself can be very complicated, right? Because you can have some exceptional case. Mm -hmm. What if we have some document uh, gone missing? And are we going to make a call or send an email uh, to the other party and ask for that document? Every single step takes time, right? So um, by using blockchain, the whole purpose is to connect all the parties together. Like a of credit trade finance, we need at least four parties to get involved if it is not five or six. Two banks representing two corporates. And also we have the shipping company to send a bill of lading. We also have maybe a confirming bank to mm-hmm. be involved. Um, if we really have... Uh, uh, so by nature, it's cross-border, right? So we have all these parties. They need to contribute with their own document. They need to verify, review, and endorse all those documents. So by using blockchain, the whole purpose is that let's come up with the same language. Let's just have everybody on board onto one single platform Mm -hmm. so that we will be able to exchange documents. So by exchanging documents, what I mean is that we have every single document digitally signed. So that's related to my career. Like I have been doing research on digital signature all my life. Um, So basically every single document will be digitally signed and securely shared on the blockchain system from one party to another And then even better is that we have those smart contract to automate the workflow. So we can actually make use of those smart contract to see, hey, this document has been properly signed, verified. I'm going to tell the the reviewer that this document is all good. So you guys can actually review the content and even reviewing the content, hopefully in the future can be automated by using some AI technology. So after that, the smart contract will be able to automatically forward to the document to some corresponding parties for further processing. So the whole thing is like using a blockchain to connect everybody together, facilitate their communication, and also to handle a lot of exceptional cases of the workflow.
0: Can you can you share a bit more about this project contour and uh, the letter of credit here? Do you know how many like companies join this platform at the end, or if there is like um Anything you can share with us, really relevant for everyone listening to this podcast or watching this video?
1: Sure, yeah. So about the Contour Network in particular, uh, we have uh, more than 15 uh, banks already on board. Uh, Some of the big names that you guys can actually check out on the website uh, to to find out all the great names there. Um, All the banks, all those uh, major trading banks are already on board. And then they are also doing this kind of transactions with more than 100 corporates uh, all over the world. And mainly in Asia, uh, that kind of like uh, iron ore companies, Um, for some insiders, you may know which company I'm referring to, and some of the really big companies that they are already using this system and already being a member of this system and using that.
0: And when we were preparing this interview together, you spoke about a new project you're working on. Uh, The name is Abelian, right?
1: Yeah, Abelian. Yeah, super excited (laughs) about this project. I can see that (laughs) in your eyes
0: right now. So can you tell me, like, what is Abelian and what is the purpose of this uh, this platform?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, first of all, Abelian, this name, uh, it's related to number theory. So number theory is kind of like a fundamental of cryptography. Uh, When we talk about, like, ring, structure, those mathematical structure, uh, Abelian group is a very popular and very important uh, mathematical structure that we make use of Abelian group to design uh, digital signature algorithms or to design encryption schemes, right? So the reason why we, uh, so, so first of all, let me introduce a little bit about this Abelian first. So as I mentioned early on, uh, I've been doing research in cryptography, digital signature encryption in my entire career life. Um, so one thing we are actually seeing in terms of the evolution of encryption uh, nowadays, in the last thirty to forty years, is that we are gradually migrating ourselves from um, using some terminology, technical terminologies like elliptic curve, elliptic curve cryptography, to some quantum-safe cryptography. So what that means is that um, since in the eighties or nineties. We have been using elliptic curve cryptography or even some older day technology called RSA, those kind of cryptography as public key encryption scheme. So public key encryption means I give you a public key and I keep the private key mm-hmm. so that you can use my public key to encrypt your message and send it to me. So only I can decrypt because I have the private key to decrypt. So digital signature is like, I have my private key. I have a message. I use my private key to sign on this message and then I publish it. So everybody has my uh, public key can verify this signature. So public key cryptography is actually very, very important uh, to the the internet, for the e-commerce, for the online banking, everything. If you need a secure channel, basically you need the public key cryptography because it solves the key management problem. So when we are using this kind of algorithms, um, in the last 30 years, the elliptic curve cryptography dominates. And elliptic curve is basically a public key encryption scheme, and which is basically used, just like what I said, with the public key and with the private key. And it relies on a mathematical problem, and we assume that that mathematical problem is hard to crack, and that's why we use that public key cryptography, uh, or the elliptic curve cryptography. So for elliptic curve cryptography, the hot problem, the underlying mathematical problem is called discrete law problem. Or more precisely, it's called elliptic curve discrete log problem. So this kind of problem is assumed to be hard to pr- crack. And uh, researchers, including ourselves, have been working on breaking elliptic curve cryptography decades for decades. And nobody will be, uh, find out how to crack it efficiently. If somebody got a, 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 a mechanism to break it, we can just simply increase the length of the key. Then um, easily, we can defend against it. But it does not work when the quantum computer becomes mature. So the conventional computer, uh, they have the limitation. And some of those mathematical problems on the, um, on the com- conventional computer, they will not be able to crack it. But on the quantum computer, if quantum computer becomes very mature, those quantum computer might be able to break uh, those underlying hard problems. For example, like elliptic curve cryptography. We already know, back to 1994, that there is an algorithm, a cracking algorithm, which is called Shor's algorithm. And Shor's algorithm can crack elliptic curve cryptography effectively. Effectively, I mean talking about seconds or minutes or at most hours, if we have such a quantum computer being built. So right now, nobody knows when that quantum computer will be ready, but the research community is already doing the standardization of the public key encryption algorithms and hopefully we will be able to come up with a secure quantum safe or so-called quantum resistant public key algorithm being deployed before the quantum computer becomes mature enough to crack our system so for example like u.s government they, they have been doing this kind of standardization for years mm-hmm. and in two years time so this is very important like 2024 there will be a standard it's called pq crypto pq stands for post quantum so pq crypto standard is going to be out and that one is going to be the first set of standards on defining how to build a post quantum cryptographic
0: system um, i'm yeah. not sure i understand everything you say <laughs> so maybe i can just ask some questions. i'm sorry if you uh, you repeat already about sure, no but what is uh, i took some notes so what is quantum safe quantum resistant and post quantum exactly
1: Sure. So when we are talking about quantum computer, it's different from our conventional computers. Those quantum computers can do something which that the conventional computer cannot do. Let's put it in this way. So when we are talking about using quantum computer to crack uh, the existing um, systems, for example, as I mentioned, the elliptic curve system, um, generally right now we know how to, how to do that. We know there is a very efficient algorithm as long as somebody can build a quantum computer then somebody can actually break it so a quantum safe encryption algorithm will be a system which can still be run on your machine Mm -hmm. on your conventional computer and we can be sure that this encryption algorithm is still safe against attacks if the adversary or the attackers are using quantum computer to break try to break so it's like you have some attackers, and you are the good guy, you want to encrypt something, and then you know that the attackers, they actually have some quantum computers, and they want to break into your communication channel and try to steal your information. So you know that they already have this kind of quantum computer. And now your question, your challenge is that how, mm-hmm. to, how to design your encryption scheme so that you will be safe from being cracked by those quantum mm-hmm. computers, so when you design an encryption algorithm or digital signature algorithm which are s- secure against quantum computer, we call that quantum-safe crypto system. It
0: looks like uh, the system. World War Two movies when uh, like Britain tried to uh, to hack the uh, German code at the time. Yeah, we have like, a couple of movies like this, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: and you also speak about. Uh, Cryptocurrency, uh, yeah. Privacy, cryptocurrency, privacy-enhancing cryptocurrency. Just before, right? Yeah. So, can you just explain what is it exactly?
1: Sure. So, so the whole idea um, that about the Abelian project is to build a blockchain system. We call it a layer one blockchain system, just like Bitcoin, just like Ethereum. But this blockchain system is using quantum-safe cryptographic algorithms. So basically this layer one system is different from Bitcoin or Ethereum. We don't need to worry about quantum computers. When the quantum computers become so mature that they can break Bitcoin, they can crack Ethereum, but they cannot break billion blockchain. So that's the first objective that we want to build. So once we have this post-quantum also called quantum safe blockchain system, another feature we, we have already built uh, on billion system, is the something called privacy coin. So privacy coin, if, uh, if you guys know about Monero or Zero Cash, you know that um, basically you can actually enhance the privacy level of Bitcoin and Ethereum to one level up. Um, so first of all, when we are talking about the anonymity level of Bitcoin or Ethereum, we know that it's anonymous, mm-hmm. right? Because you just need to create your wallet address and you don't need to provide any of your identity there. So it's anonymous as long as you are generating your uh, crypto wallet addresses every time, like a new one, and keep your identity safe so that you will not have that kind of linkage between your identity and the wallet. So that's anonymous. But Bitcoin or Ethereum, they are traceable. Mm -hmm. So traceable, you know, by using those blockchain explorer, you will be able to know the transactions and the entire history all the way from the genesis block. So it's traceable, it's anonymous. And privacy coin is about anonymous and untraceable. So that's the main difference. So again, it's anonymous, so there's no linkage. But at the same time, for every single transaction and the the other transactions, there is no correlation. You cannot link one transaction with another transaction. So uh, even better is that the wallet addresses are encrypted. So when you are using a billion, to send your if um, eavesdroppers or the public, when they look into the, the chain, the entire mm-hmm. chain, they will only know that there is a transaction happen. They don't know what is the sender's wallet address, what is the receiver's wallet address. They even don't know what's the amount that's being transferred from address A to address B. So this kind of privacy, we are talking about anonymity as well as untraceability. Kind of like Monero and zero cash because they are also trying to achieve the privacy. While at the same time, in order to build quantum safe and also the privacy con on this layer one blockchain, that's the main so-called contribution uh, from this project.
0: I may have a stupid question, but do I need privacy enhancing cryptocurrency or not at all?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. So your question is actually related to use cases. Uh, why do we want this? So, um, let me just give some of the examples we have been thinking. Um, I've been doing research on cryptography all my life. Uh, I've always been a great supporter of uh, having this kind of freedom to have this kind of privacy protection to myself. Okay. Um, So, for example, if uh, you are the high net worth you are, the high net worth (laughs) uh, (laughs) individual, and um, you have a, a few thousand BTC in your wallet, everybody can just scan the Bitcoin blockchain, the entire ledger, and then find out all those wallet addresses, which has more than say 2,000 BTCs there. Okay. So it's actually very easy to find that, right? There's no privacy, despite it's anonymous, despite it's uh, it's anonymous but traceable. Some of the great companies, they are doing those data analytics. They, they might be able to find out who's actually behind those wallets. So one thing I've always been thinking since the beginning of this, Bitcoin back to 2009, I was actually thinking about how to make that private so that I have, say, 10,000 BTCs, but I can still keep that safe in one single wallet. I don't need to like create 1,000 wallets so that each wallet is not going to keep that many of Bitcoins. So I've always been thinking about that. And in fact, like back to 2004, uh, I was doing research before the Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, was born. And um, I was doing linkable ring signature, that kind of um, cryptographic algorithm. And later on, actually, Monero uh, used uh, um, our research result to build the Monero. So Monero was uh, started with the linkable ring signature algorithm Interesting. in order to make it uh, private. So one use case I just mentioned for high net worth or just for our individuals. Uh, we want privacy. We don't want other people to know how, how many... Uh, ABOS, that's the, the name of the uh, abelian coin, uh, A-B-E-L, uh, how many abels I'm holding. So privacy will be there. Another um, very important aspect about privacy um, is really about like when you do the transaction, um, for every single transaction, as from the hacker's perspective, they will always try to find a better return, right? From the hack- hacker's perspective they will be able to know which wallet has more Bitcoins or Ethereum. They don't care who's behind that. They will try to hack that. Mm -hmm. They will not hack some uh, wallet which has 0.0001 BTC. They would like to hack someone, some wallet which has, say, 10,000 BTCs. So having that kind of information easily available online, that's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. So for Abelian, another use case is really to make it even more secure, is to make that private so that even the hackers will not be able to find out which wallet address uh, that they need to target to.
0: Um, you spoke about cryptocurrency, and we know that most of the cryptocurrency need mining, so does yours
1: need mining, and if yes, why? Yeah, that's another good question. So about Abelian, at this moment is a POW, proof of work. Mm-hmm. Um, we are using the proof of work consensus protocol. So speaking of POW and why we want to use POW, it's related to the question which is called blockchain trilemma, right? So when we are talking about blockchain trilemma, we are talking about three aspects, the security, the decentralization, and scalability. So about the security is really about how secure your system is. If somebody wants to hack your system, how likely they they will be able to launch that. For example, by using POW, the, the biggest concern is about 51% attack. Mm-hmm. So 51% attack is talking about one adversary has more than 51% of computational power of the entire system. So as long as we have a distributed system, we are all good. So the security and decentralization, they actually are re- very much relevant to each other for POW. So for proof of work, as long as you have a very decentralized system with a lot of miners all over the world, and they are individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not being controlled by one single party behind, you are pretty much safe. The downside about POW is about the scalability. So, for example, like Bitcoin, the the, the TPS, the transaction per second is only like three to four transactions per second versus like Solana, we are talking about 400,000, mm-hmm. right? So that's, it's very obvious. For Ethereum, uh, POW uh, 1.0, um, we are talking about 22 transactions per second. So when we merge to 2.0, we might be able to reach 1,000 transactions per second or even more. So that's why right now, a billion, I'm just saying right, right now, a billion is POW. Mm-hmm. So because we want to focus on decentralization as well as security. The TPS is something that we are going to build next. So first of all, this is POW. But in the near future, we plan to upgrade to POS when the system become more mature... POS is proof of stake. Proof right? of stake, that's right. So when the system is more mature and more more mature means more dest- uh, decentralized, more distributed, and we have more people using Abelian and having this Abelian wallet, then at that moment, hopefully in 24 months from now, we would like to consider upgrading the whole thing to POS so that it's more environmentally friendly and also it can solve the the scalability problem, too.
0: Interesting. Um, So you speak about people joining uh, abelian, right? Um, My question would be like, um, if I look at myself, should I um, uh, I go for mining some uh, of your cryptocurrencies there and why I should do it?
1: All right, so join (laughs) our (laughs) Discord. So um, yeah, so right now, uh, what we are doing is that we are controlling the code because we really to make sure it's absolutely safe before we really open source the whole thing. Um, Later on, we are going to open source it. Everything will be open source within 12 months time. So in order to start mining, um, uh, you may visit our uh, homepage, Mm -hmm. uh, website over there, abelian.info. I'm going to provide a link uh, after this. So after that, you will be able to find the Twitter link and also as, as well as the Discord. So we have that Discord server. Once you get in, and then we will uh, basically invite you into our private mining club. Okay. So we have some private channels there in order to make sure it's fully decentralized. Um, we have a by invitation at this stage. But this kind of like invitation only stage will only last for at most three months uh, before we open up to the public. So right now we already have uh, more than 300 mining sites all over the world. Um, we have been running for only two months, so the, the adoption rate is really encouraging. Uh, and very soon, probably within three months time, we might open up to, to everybody to my So
0: you, you spoke about, about, the plan for the next three months. You, sp- you spoke also about the plan for the next two years, but yeah. what's next for Abelian? Like, do you plan to do like some events, maybe like, uh, bring more, yeah. um, features on the platforms? Yep. Um, could you share a bit
1: more with us? Sure, yeah. So uh, first of all, let me talk about the development, and then I will talk about some of the events mm-hmm. that we have already planned out. So about the development part, uh, right now uh, we are doing more on the security review Uh, before we open up the all the code. We have been working on this project for four years already, okay. back to 2018 actually. Uh, we started there. Uh, we, we designed all the algorithms and also made use of some of the algorithms. Uh, already available uh, in the academia. Um, and also we published all the all the schemes. So basically, if you go to the our website and you can download our white paper, and the white paper has explained all the design um, for this Abelian. So all the designs have been peer reviewed, um, published in the last four years. And also we have implemented this one for two years. In the last two years, we have run a couple of the test nets until uh, early this year, in March, we started the main net. So the, the, uh, coming up, uh, the, the next development uh, milestone for us is to really bring that um, into a highly secure, um, highly fully reviewed um, state so that we will be able to open up all the codes uh, for the community. Because down the road, we would like it to be uh, an open community-driven project. So about the event part in uh, August, we are going to have our first hackathon. Okay. Uh, in Hong Kong. Nice. So this one is uh, we are a supporting organization of the IEEE, IEEE, um, local Hong Kong blockchain group uh, event, which is a hackathon. And in that hackathon, what we are going to provide is the the entire list of the APIs of the Abelian. So that university students, they can check out all the APIs and then they can build their own, say, favorite wallets or block explorer, uh, mining pool, or whatever they want by using those APIs. So we are trying to do that step by step. And having this hackathon, we are going to run some of the uh, webinars and some other kinds of events to educate everybody why we want to have this quantum safe system and also why we want this privacy content. Yeah.
0: You spoke about a lot about tech developments and tech developments. Uh, one of the questions I like to ask everyone coming here is, mm-hmm. how do you hire people? Do you need more developers? And where do you find these developers if you need them?
1: Yeah. So uh, this is related to CryptoBlock. Uh, so CryptoBlock is Hong Kong-based, and um, we have the headquarters in Science Park. So we have uh, 40 guys there, uh, I mean engineers, not counting all that I mean operation stuff. And we also have team in Taiwan, we have uh, some other teams in mainland China, as well as in Philippines, as well as Vietnam. So basically for a billion, uh, we hire people all over the world. And uh, it's very important for us to, to do that in, in this way, rather than limit ourselves in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, due to the obvious reason, like we don't have enough uh, engineering resources over here. And also this is originally a global project. So this project was actually funded by myself and also some of my friends over the world, some of them in the States, some of them in Australia, in Singapore. So it's global by nature. So hiring people is also the same thing. We just uh, need to uh, introduce our project um, in a correct way so that we will be able to empower our developers all over the world uh, to work on these kind of projects.
0: Um, if we come back to your company, Cryptoblock, um, how do you, um, do you spend like every week sometimes to try to recruit some people? Is it you doing it? Your team's doing it? Do you have like a head of HR doing it?
1: Yeah, so I do have our whole team. Uh, we have our COO. Uh, he's taking good care of the operation over there, including the hiring. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, I personally reach out to talented developers, engineers all the time. So uh every week, I have calls uh, with those developers over the world uh, trying to attract them and or try to explain and also to evaluate their capability and their core competence. So I'm doing that every every single week and And how big is your team right now? So we have 40 engineers in Hong Kong. Uh, we have sixty people all together uh, in the world right now. Nice, correct.
0: Very good, very good. You are also working sometimes with the government and, and large corporate, right? Yeah. Do you face any challenge working with them when you bring innovation and new product to them, and especially when it's a blockchain platform? So
1: I think one of the major challenges will be education, will be really on the education part. Um, working with the government and also some of these big corporates, the most important thing um, is to be able to manage the expectation. I think this is very important so especially when we are working on this innovative ideas and sometimes the technology may not be that mature to be honest working with the government um it's not a good idea to introduce all the all those kind of like advanced r&d stage of products to them but actually it's actually uh, it's our responsibility to provide this kind of like educational thing to them telling them which one is mature enough and which one It might be a little bit risky, but it's very effective. So we have to deliver all these messages in a very clear way. uh, And also, rather than just keep selling this kind of highly advanced, highly innovative products, it will not work. Actually, it's very easy to understand. If you put yourself into their shoes, they need something which is reliable, which is robust, which is sustainable. So if you work on innovation, sometimes you break things. And that's expected. So that's why when we talk to, for example, those government officials or those big corporates, we also need to mention something which is more reliable in addition to those excited, um, very exciting and innovative products or research products, uh, research results that we are working on.
0: Thank you very much. We are concluding this uh, interview here. I would like to ask you like a couple of advice if you can share it some with our listener here or people watching us. Sure. Could you share some with us?
1: Some of the advice? Yes. Uh, any kinds of advice? Yes. At least one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the most important thing is to find something which is really, that you are really passionate about. Um, that's the first thing. Uh, once you are very passionate about you really need to commit yourself. It's, it's really the hard work um, that you need to put on. Without the hard work, just being passionate is not enough. So I, I heard a lot of people just talking about the, being passionate. Mm-hmm. I really think that hard work is even more important, uh, no matter how passionate you are. First of all, you have the passion so that you are willing to, to really work hard 24-7 on that project. But at the same time, I think the hard work is really the important thing. In order to have that kind of hard work, you need to have the discipline and so on. And where
0: people can learn more about you?
1: Um, Actually, interestingly, my son keeps saying that you can just Google Duncan Wong. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, so in fact, uh, from the Blog website, uh, credoblog.io, you can find actually a lot about myself, about the company, um, and Abelian.info. So that's the Abelian project that we are working on. And in fact, it is the case that if you search like Duncan Wong, Blog, you, you can find tons of YouTube clips and, and also articles about us.
0: Okay, thank you very much. It was a cool interview with you. Thank you thank for you. explaining for having a, me over here. a lot of things here. Thank you very much for following this interview. Uh, if you listen, thank you for following and give us a 5 stars rating. And if you're watching this video, feel free to share it with everyone. Thank you very much, and i speak to you soon, maybe next week. Bye-bye.